0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Racing with Rob at Roller podcast. We are coming off an action-packed weekend of racing. The first action-packed weekend of racing in a very long time. My gosh, it feels like it's been forever. It's been quite literally since uh, the Formula One season ended, since the IMSA season ended, since the IndyCar season ended. So probably about, oh, say around September, October of last season that we've had a, a weekend as packed as this. Uh Everything was going on, so we've got news and notes and opinions every all the lot that you're you've come to know and love from us uh, here at robin roller uh we've got uh we've got it all to cover here in about an hour or so. we're gonna shoot for an hour, no guarantees if we keep you over. I don't think you'll care because uh then you wouldn't be listening if you didn't care. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into it, but first I will go through our twitters. I am at r peters thirty three. Josh is at roller underscore zero one, and the show is at robin roller, spelled just like it sounds, r o b a n d r o l l e r. Josh, we should jump right in to uh, my racing report because there's a lot of news to cover from this yes, past period. weekend. Uh, big breaking news that happened over the weekend that shocked and that shocked a lot of people, including myself. Uh, was seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson tested positive for COVID-19 and uh, missed his the Brickyard 400 his in his final full-time season and NASCAR Johnson uh, age 44 has not experienced symptoms of COVID-19. he was tested upon learning this that, that his wife, tested positive after experiencing allergy-like symptoms. Johnson was in constant communication with Hendrick Motorsports before and after being tested for COVID-19. The team immediately informed NASCAR and has been coordinating with the sanctioning body as a precaution. It has also identified one member of the number 48 traveling crew to self-quarantine due to close contract with Johnson. Uh, This snapped a 663 race streak of consecutive starts for Jimmy Johnson and Justin Allgaier subbed in for Jimmy Johnson uh at Indianapolis so Allgaier made his first cup start since 2016 the last driver to drive the 48 before Jimmy Johnson was good old Trevor Boys at Pocono Raceway in 1993 and then the Brickyard 400 uh in 1994 was uh, uh and that was the last uh NASCAR Cup race since 1971 uh where there wasn't a three-time or more champion in the field, which is just a crazy stat to think about. And I saw on Reddit someone pointing out the the real statistics behind that, and sure enough, my goodness, that's correct. Um, So prior to Saturday's Xfinity Series race, NBC's Mike Tirico... Uh, spoke with NASCAR President Steve Phelps about Johnson testing positive for COVID-19. Phelps said, quote, I think the protocols have actually worked really, really well for us. Obviously, it's unfortunate that Jimmy is going to be out of the car this weekend, hopefully two negative tests next week, and then can get back in the car at Kentucky. I think the protocols have worked really well. It's not perfect, but I think if you look at the procedures that we have in place and the policies that we have in place really to protect the drivers, crews and our own officials and everyone that is working at the racetrack. The number of positive tests that we have had have been so few and far between. We're really encouraged. Uh, We think the protocols are working as we had expected they would. Hopefully Jimmy will be back soon and we won't have any other drivers testing positive. So that's definitely uh, some wishful thinking out of them out of uh, Steve Phelps. Uh, next piece of news here. During the Brickyard 400s competition caution, pit stop. We'll talk about this later when we talk uh, discuss the main brickyard. Uh, but Team Penske and Ryan Blaney's rear tire changer, Zach Price, was injured as, as a result of a pit road collision while being loaded into the ambulance before being transferred, transported to Methodist Hospital in Indian, Indianapolis for evaluation. He was alert and gave a thumbs up to the crews and cameras on pit road. He was released later that night and uh, returned home to North Carolina for further evaluation. Um, Uh, There's more news uh, today about uh, possibly, ooh, we don't know if we're going to go to Watkins Glen this year. Adam Stern tweeted that, quote, NASCAR industry executives are increasingly skeptical that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo will grant the sport a quarantine waiver for the August uh, Watkins Glen weekend, which would put that race in serious doubt. If the uh, Watkins Glen weekend is canceled, NASCAR could move the cup race to a Roval in the southeast. Uh, In the southeast, there are four tracks with a roval. Four NASCAR-owned tracks, Daytona and Homestead. Miami have road courses, but with Florida's COVID-19 situation worsening seemingly by the hour, uh, one must wonder if the August Coke 0400 at the Daytona International Speedway Oval is in question. Uh, Speedway Motorsports has the obvious roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I mean, we're already going there anyway. We could go there twice, uh, but... I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Um it's possible. There's also a roval at Atlanta Motor Speedway, but that's pretty doubtful because it's not Cup series ready. Uh a lot of these rovals that would like, you know, have uh, an opportunity to run in the Southeast probably need to be worked on first. Uh so we'll see if that happens. Uh, if not, we're probably going to end up back at the Charlotte roval for two races. Um, on Friday before the first race in the 2020 Formula One season, Red Bull fire filed an official protest against the legality of Mercedes' dual-axis steering system. Red Bull's Christian Horner hinted that the, at the protest prior to the formal filing, and Mercedes' Total Wolf understood that a fight on Sunday night to dispute the original, official results. Was best to be avoided. The protest is against an alleged breach of Articles 3.8 and 10.2.3 of the technical regulations. Article 3.8 relates to the aerodynamic influence and movable aerodynamic devices. With a section of the regulations stating, "Quote any car system, device, or procedure which uses." Driver movement as a means of altering the aerodynamic characteristics of the car is prohibited. Article 10.2.3 addresses suspensions, suspension geometry and says no adjustment may be made to any suspension system while the car is in motion. Soon after, stewards deemed the uh, dual-axis steering legal system legal and dismissed Red Bull's protest. In the stewards' conclusion, it read, The DAS system is not part of the suspension, nor can it be considered to... Uh, illegitimately adjust the suspension. Therefore, the stewards consider DAS to be le- a legitimate part of the steering system and hence uh, to satisfy the relevant regulations regarding suspension or aerodynamic influence. In the uh, opinion of the stewards, the DAS system is physically and functionally a part of the steering system. As such, it benefits the implicit expectations uh, to certain suspension regulations applicable to steering. So that was a lot of... Uh, Jargon from the FIA yeah. that I just had to read out loud. <laughs> yeah, I had to actually follow what I was reading. Boy, I, I I hate bureaucrat speech. Uh, anyway, early Monday, uh, and, and you know we got bureaucrat speech. Now we're going into politics. I just don't want to deal with this today. Let's talk about racing. Anyway, but we got to talk about this because it's the elephant in the room. It happened this morning. Uh, Josh, we could talk discuss this a little bit later, or we could discuss it now. I don't care, but you can discuss uh, I'll it go now. We'll discuss it now. All right, let's go for it. Early Monday morning, President Trump sent a tweet out that read, quote, Has Bubble Wallace apologized to all of those great NASCAR drivers and officials who came to his aid, stood by his side, and were willing to sacrifice everything for him, only to find out that the whole thing was just another hoax? That and flag decision has caused lowest ratings ever. Okay. um, That was a thing that was tweeted out at 8 in the morning and yeah. I had to deal with Reading in the morning, and yeah, Bubba Wallace though he had a he had a response, and I'll read it here for you now. uh He put out a response not long after, saying, "Quote: "Uh, Your words and actions will always be held uh, to a higher standard than others. You have to be prepared for that. You don't learn these things in school; you learn them from trials and tribulations, the ups and downs this crazy world provides. You will always have people testing you, seeing if they can knock you off your pedestal. I encourage you." To keep your head held high and walk proudly on the path that you've chosen. Never let anybody tell you you can't do something. God put us all here for a reason, for that reason, and he is, and be proud of it. Uh, and work your tails off every day towards it. All the haters are doing is elevating your voice and platform to, a, to much greater heights. Last thing, always deal with the hate being thrown at you with love. Love over hate every day. Love should come naturally as people are taught to hate. Even when it's hate from the President of the United States. Love wins. Bubba Wallace. Uh, that was his statement. Um, NASCAR later released a statement. It took seemingly forever to get them to release a statement. Um, and that read, quote, We are proud to have Bubba Wallace in the NASCAR family, and we commend his courage and leadership. NASCAR continues to stand tall with Bubba, our competitors, and everybody who makes our sport welcome and inclusive for all racing fans. So I'm going to branch out here real quick and just put on a soapbox here and editorialize a little bit since... I guess we're. I mean, it's probably a good idea to just discuss this now, get it out of the way, uh, so we could focus on the happier things. But what in the absolute world did that tweet accomplish? Nothing. It it, it accomplished absolutely nothing. Well, I, I take that back. It probably accomplished uh, Trump's desire to cover up uh, everything or to, to just distract from how the nation is is handling coronavirus um and i don't want to be political i don't want to get political because i don't like being political publicly because you always get crap for that and to be honest with you i'm not mentally stable enough to handle it but let's be honest with you with i'll be honest with all of you i just i'm just not i can't handle you know potential bots coming at me just for disagreeing with the president because apparently if you disagree with the president his base does not like that you know i thought it was our, your american duty to disagree with the president. If you didn't agree with him, like you're, you're supposed to hold the president to a higher standard. You're supposed to hold him accountable. You know, if he does something that's wrong, it doesn't matter what, what party he's in. You know, you should, you should, you should be criticizing him regardless of, of whether or not you voted for him or not. And, you know, if he does something wrong, you should criticize him from, in this case, everything he said in this tweet is just factually incorrect. I mean, straight from the, 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 the point it's just factually incorrect like first and foremost why does he have to apologize when he didn't see it and he didn't start any of this bubba didn't start any of this he didn't see the news it was reported by somebody else they thought it was a news nascar invecti- investigated the fbi investigated they turned out okay it was a misunderstanding there wasn't a, a any kind of you know news this wasn't a hate crime which again i said last week it's the best case scenario to happen this is the best-case scenario that we don't have a hate crime because I'm so glad that somebody in the sport is not that hateful. Where, did, where are people saying that Bubba Wallace caused this? Where are pe- why are there people still saying that this is, this is Jesse Smollett? This is ridiculous. Those are apples and oranges. I said that this morning on Twitter. I said this is apples and oranges situation. Jesse Smollett was, was a proven liar. Like He tried to fake people out for the sake of uh, publicity. You know, he tried to fake a hate crime for the sake of publicity. Bubba Wallace did not fake a hate crime. He didn't know this happened. NASCAR, somebody walked around the garage, saw a noose hanging from the 43 garage, put two and two together, alerted NASCAR. And then when the, after the investigation came out, they said it was a misunderstanding. How is that bad? And then Bubba Wallace said, oh, hey, I agree with the FBI's decision. It was a misunderstanding. I'm happy about this. Where did he, where is he doubling down that people are saying? I don't know what people are getting that from. You know, I, I it just blows my mind the mental gymnastics some people have to go through in order to constantly throw bubble under the bus. And what's really upsetting to me personally is the fact that we are bringing NASCAR back into the limelight of the national media, and that's not where I want it to be. Because when it gets there, you get people who don't know what they're talking about trying to talk about something that yes. they've never followed before. Yes. yes. You know, I wake up and I see this, and I'm thinking, oh, great, I can't wait for Tucker Carlson to come on tonight on Fox News and say something about this and then rile up more people. I can't wait for Rachel Maddow to come out and say something like this, and then you got to deal with all this crap for the next who knows. Why can't we have Dave Despain go on rants? Why can't I be the official ranter of NASCAR from some time? Like, why do we have to – why are we just letting these guys do this? I don't know. Josh, I'm talking too much. I'm ranting too much. I want to hear what you have to say because I don't. I don't want to take – all of your words out of your mouth, because I do want to hear what you have to say. And I hope that they're not just echoing my statements. And even if they are, that's not a bad thing, but you know, I just want to hear what you have to say about any of this. Cause I don't know if it's frustrated you as much, as much as it's frustrated me this morning.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it frustrates me. I mean, I just don't get it. How can, um, there's just a lot of like, what is this accomplishing? Like you said, what, what is the point about this? And, you know, I asked myself about that with not just our president, but other politicians as well. And um, you know, I think the more comical part about this is, is how it's how the press team and the White House is trying to spin this. And <laughs> I, I won't I that. won't get into that. I mean, anyone who's gotta do any of that press relations job for President Trump is is make is making their their money. I, mean, I know they, they are criticize any that they. I give. know they
0: criticize the press corps, or the press corps criticizes the press secretary all the time. Yeah. A lot of it is 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 justified. But think about the job that that entails. I mean, you oh, have yeah. to stand oh, up yeah. there and justify everything that this president is doing to the press. Yep. Look, how are you going to do that and make it sound legitimate? Sometimes, like especially yeah, I, in this situation, how do you do that? I feel yeah. bad for her trying to have to say these things with such, like, like certainty when I, I, it looks like there's no, like, she, I, I feel like when I was looking at this, she had to go back and her notes and figure out, oh, okay, what what did he say about this? If I'm asked this, you know, yeah. how do I, I respond to this question? Oh, this is how I respond to it? Like, she was reading it like, like really? Like, even she was in disbelief. Like, that yeah, was how I she think- was supposed to respond to it.
1: Yeah, and I think I haven't watched every press thing that 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 she's done since she's taken this job, but I think today was like the first time. Like I'm like I don't think I'm buying what she's trying to sell. I mean that that's just that's what the situation was. And Jen Jenner Fryer pointed out he literally picked the worst Monday <laughs> to choose that ratings were lower, which which Rob will end with in a, in a moment. But it's just like I I don't get where any of this is coming from. I really don't because. I don't know how you could be so supportive of NASCAR in February. Come out there, do a flyover, do your thing. I mean, it's no secret that more than likely you line up 10 people who are NASCAR fans. They're going to be leaning the conservative side. All right. Most of them are, there's, there are some people who, who, who lean on the liberal side and that's great. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. And there's and, the rest and mean, I mean, a rest of us who are smack dab in the middle. That's it's your right as an American to have your opinion, but I mean, it just seems like this is a bad move on his part. And, 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 and I mean, it it's just, just adds to the list of like, what the heck was that tweet about? I mean, there's going to be a book written about this, just tweets. I mean, we've already said that in the past, but there's going to be a book written about this. And that's all I got to say about, about that. Cause it was just frustrating to me that there could be that big of a dis, I, I mean, called a disconnect, but just misinformed. Tweet is crazy.
0: I think Myatt Snyder said it best with his uh, his meme tweet that I retweeted. Said uh, all edge, no point. I,
1: was like, <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. That's good. That's it, good.
0: It, it was a picture of like a pizza cutter. It said all edge, and no point.
1: That's great. I was that's was like, perfect.
0: It, 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 it is perfect. Like I, perfect. I mean, it was. That's really what it read like. Like it's all edge, and there's no real point to it because you're completely ignoring blatant facts that have been stated multiple times. Like NASCAR has been completely transparent about this whole thing. Like they've yeah. admitted, Oh yeah, maybe we didn't react the way we did the right way, but we're happy. We overreacted instead of underreacted, you know what, you mm-hmm. know? And, and it's like, you know, again, they're sitting here being like, okay, well, we're really, really glad that, you know, there wasn't any, the, the best case scenario happened. There wasn't a hate crime. Who, do ha- who has to apologize? Yeah, like you, you don't apologize. Be. You don't demand an apology from, uh, let's say, the, fi- the, the, the ambulance if You call an ambulance. The guy's having a problem. You think he's having a heart attack. They come by and they say, oh, no, he's not having a heart attack. He's got something else. He's going to be OK. You know, you don't you the ambulance. They don't ex- demand an apology from you for m- making a, a common mistake. Yeah. Because of something that you thought you needed an expert to come in and confirm, make sure something you did that, you realized what the situation actually was, and you were completely transparent about it the whole time. Mm-hmm. What in the world is is there to be upset about? Yeah. Like this this should have been done and dusted two weeks ago. We it, shouldn't have it, been talking it about it. it. It honestly was. And it honestly
1: was. And then and then he and then he just he stoked it again. The fire is almost out. And he stoked it again. And it's like, what the heck? I don't know. You can't even I mean, read the comments. The comments are even worse. The the, the, the the yeah. We won't we won't get into that because I mean we just need to we need to move on and just we say you know what it was a dumb tweet. It's a horrible situ. Yeah. It was a horrible situation today with that whole mess. And just a just a bad day. Just a bad day in in general. And it's only Monday. So why don't we? Why don't you share the the good news? To yeah end. so uh,
0: contrary to president Trump's statements uh, to end on positive news Fox Sports said it averaged uh, 3.778 million viewers for the NASCAR Cup Series through the 15 points races which is down just 1% though uh, the same number of event through the same number of events that Last year, this is a victory based on how many races have been affected by weather, including the Daytona 500 and Coca-Cola 600. By the way, that's, again, not the ratings at an all-time low, because trust me, there's been worse times for NASCAR. No, uh, I think the
1: ratings would be up. If, if everything had been on time, we'd be oh, yeah. seeing a few percent growth for Fox through their first 15 races. And they have one more race this Sunday to try, and, to try and be higher. They have
0: two yeah. more. They still have the all-star race, too.
1: Well, I'm not counting the All Star points race. I'm counting the points okay. race.
0: Well, that's true. But the All Star race still hopefully would be a pretty decent. I think All Star race better. at Bristol. Yeah. Yeah. People would what it, people will what it, will tune in for that because Bristol is always a good one. Yeah. Um, NBC has also posted the ratings for Sunday's Brickyard 400. Uh, f- uh, four point three seven zero million viewers tuned in to watch the race, up forty six percent from 2019's race uh but uh, which was also up against football and also happened in s- in September. Uh, There's no COVID nineteen so people were out and about. Uh whatever. It was also up to thirty two percent from last year's Coke Zero four hundred at Daytona, which was previously on the fourth of July weekend. So comparatively it was still up even compared yeah, to the rates up. from last season last season. There was an average uh twenty six thousand 800 average minute audience streaming on NBCSports.com and the NBC Sports app. I always like seeing that because, you know, with with streaming, you can get accurate numbers. You know, you don't have to rely mm-hmm. on guessing through Nielsen. With streaming, you get accurate numbers. And that's yes. always good to see uh, good numbers for sp- streaming. Um, so definitely up up 57% from last year's Brickyard um, and uh, up 9% compared to the uh, Daytona race from last July. So ratings, ratings are up. The ratings are up. So, again, everything in that tweet was factually incorrect. But I'm I I don't know
1: maybe and that'll be just, the last uh, time we try to mention that tweet today.
0: Maybe they're just alternative facts. Did I have to bring that up? <laughs> I brought that up. I brought that up. I, I went ahead and went there. I went ahead and went there. I think I think it's warranted for today. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay because. Trust me, you know, what's more patriotic, like well, like I said earlier, what's more patriotic than being critical of anyone in power? Nothing. As an American, it's, uh, it's what I believe is your duty as an American is to, to keep the powers that be in check. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, today's featured paint scheme is going to be our favorite patriotic paint scheme. Good, so we're gonna good, t-
1: good turn there. We're
0: going to prove to everybody that we are patriots, regardless of what they think. Yeah. Uh, we are patriots. Um, so Josh, why don't you tell us all about your uh, featured paint scheme of the week, your
1: featured patriotic paint scheme of the week, man, there was a lot to choose from here. I, I, I think this more than any other segment we've gone through where I was not really, really knowledgeable of what the paint schemes were. I spent more time trying to decide this and I won't even list all the ones that they, that I could, that I could have picked because there's just so many. But I have to go with Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s Budweiser Stars and Stripes from the 2007 Pepsi 400. The car was blue, in the front and the hood, and a and across the top and along the sides were sides were red and white stripes. So it was kind of emulating a flag, you know, in a way as many of them do. But this one was really, really just just looked great on the car. Junior qualified 13th, but unfortunately finished 36th in that race, 26 laps down, to be involved in an accident on lap 15. I still think it was best in show uh, that race, um, and uh, I still think even some of the pat, even the even the paint scheme, uh, patriotic paint scheme, since it holds it holds up well in the best in class uh, competition for 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 patriotic paint schemes. That's all I'm going to say about it. Just awesome patriotic. I need to get my dad this diecast because he's a, he's a Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan. I need to get him this his this diecast. He has the the camo one junior ran at the six hundred that year, but I I still need to get him the uh this die cast.
0: You know, that's a really good choice. I you know, you're right. That's I didn't realize I re- I didn't realize he crashed on that, but I still very vividly remember that paint scheme for some reason. So um yeah, very good good choice there, Josh. Junior Junior I think Junior's always had some really good ones. Oh, DEI yeah. had really good patriotic paint schemes back in the day. Uh but I think in my opinion this is my opinion. You know, you're free to disagree with me. What you want on this, but uh, I, I agree think with you. this is a good one. This is a great one. Was Ken Schrader's 9/11 memorial scheme from the 2001 uh, fall race at Dover? Um, it's about as basic as you can get, but I think in this situation, basic is good. Yes, you know, you you know, it, it's it was one thing, especially if you think about the time period that this paint scheme happened. Um, this. This is a very important and and culturally relevant paint scheme, I think, because it was just it was just the 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 American flag, you know, the whole car. It's like they just draped an American flag over the car, almost, it, or draped an American flag wrap over the car. They had to put thirty six number thirty sixes on it, but it, it, other than that, it, to my knowledge, I don't think it, and it, it maybe had one or two contingencies on it, um, but that was about it. Uh, it was plain, it was basic. It didn't even have Pontiac. Lettering on it. Like it didn't even have any brand recognition on it at all. Um, and it was just a, a perfect tribute paint scheme uh, during a time where I think we all needed to be united as mm-hmm. Americans. Uh, and, it, and I think very fondly of it because it's it's such a, a an impactful paint scheme. Um, you know, you don't think of something that ran one race at uh, one time it, it, at Dover, of all places, as being very impactful. But I think for this one, uh, I remember it very vividly, very fondly, and I find it to be very impactful still to this day. Yeah. Um, Kyle Bush ran a little bit of an updated one version
1: in 2012. I almost picked that, but I like the
0: Pont- I like Pontiacs more. You guys know that.
1: Um, was, so you could almost have done a co-one, though, because I think, it, I mean, it was obviously still M&M's. Right. M&M's was a sponsor for both. Uh, yeah, great, great paint scheme, and I agree. I mean, it, it showed, I hate to, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it, it shows country over everything. Mm-hmm. In, in, in that sense, to me, that's what it spells out. I don't know if that's that's what it means to you, but, I mean, again, like, it may have had Winston Cup and Union 76 stickers on it because it had to. Yeah, that's what I but, said. I think it
0: had, like, one or two contingencies.
1: Yeah, so other than that, in the numbers, it was just straight American flag. Great paint scheme, absolutely. You remember that one in Dale Jr.'s but whats the car with the American flag on the front more than anything from that race.
0: For real, I mean, really... It it was the perfect way to go about that. Yeah. You know, it was very like we're not going to commercialize this. We're just going to go out there and we're going to run a paint scheme that that shows okay. unity. That you good you know, footage. especially at that time, you can't bring us down. You can't stop us. You know, yeah. you can't scare us. We're not going to let terrorists win. That was the whole, uh, essentially the the whole point of that paint scheme. Uh, Ken Schrader did finish 18th in that race in that paint scheme. So top 20 finish out of it was uh pretty good for him. Um, so moving on to this week's winners, we're going to recap some of, uh, the race, the drivers that won, uh, all of the races. I'm going to talk about some of the, you know, my F1 feeder series, which we're back this weekend and I'm so excited. A loaded this week's rant winner segment. I love it. I know. I know. So let's start with uh, the first race that happened this weekend. <laughs> I was so close to going to this until I found out Johnson tested positive for COVID. And then I just said, Nope, I noped right out of it. I said, I am not going to a race and be packed in like sardines, potentially. and I can wear my mask all I want, but that's the last thing I want. But uh, the Arkham Menards Series at Lucas Oil Raceway, uh, Chandler Smith won his ninth career Arkham Menards victory in 23 starts. Uh, The Arkham Menards Series West was out at Irwindale Speedway. Jesse Love won that one. Uh, The GMR Grand Prix at uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course was won by Scott Dixon, Uh, his only second win at Indianapolis. He becomes... Only the sec third driver to win the GMR Grand Prix, and uh, Chip Ganassi becomes only the uh, third team to win the GMR Grand Prix. So this, yep. the race up until this point, had been dominated by Will Power and uh, S- Simon Pagenaud. It had only been won by Schmidt Peterson the first time with Simon Pagenaud, and then Penske from then on. So uh, essentially, Scott Dixon walked right in and broke a whole ton of records. Um, which was surprising, uh, but hey, he also got his 48th career win, so he's inching closer uh, to becoming one of the all-time winning drivers in IndyCar racing. I mean, that's third all-time. Yep. He continues to inch closer, and I think he's going to be, beat that. He, I think he's going to get there by the time he calls it a career. I do uh, right? and Speaking of calling it, it a career, it felt very strange to not have Tony Canon in an IndyCar race this weekend. That was the first time Tony Canon had not been in an IndyCar race Uh, Since, I believe, 1998. So it's been a long time without uh, TK in the field. It was very bittersweet for me. But, uh, oh, well. Um, The next race we talk about, uh, NASCAR Affinity Series, the Pennzoil 150 on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. Chase Briscoe, the Indiana boy, wins. He leads in Hoosier 1-2 as uh, Justin Haley from Winnemac uh, finishes second. Uh, So big day for Hoosiers there. Big day for Hoosiers. Yes. um, In that race. Uh, IMSA's WeatherTech 240 at Daytona International Speedway. Uh, we'll go through the class victories uh, in DPI. Mazda one with Jonathan Bobberino and Harry Ticknell. Uh, in GTLM, Corvette Racing one with Jordan Taylor and Antonio Garcia. In GT Daytona, and Vassar Sullivan one with Jack Hawksworth and Aaron Tillitz. Uh, Interesting to note that, uh, that uh, Townsend Bell made the trip from Indianapolis yeah. to Daytona in one day to call the IndyCar race. And then fly all the way down to uh, compete in this race. So uh, busy, busy Saturday there for uh, Townsend Bell. Uh, the Formula One Austrian Grand Prix was won by Valtteri Bottas. An interesting Formula One Grand Prix. I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, formula Two. Let's get into my woohoo my uh, feature uh, my uh, Formula Feeder Series. Uh, in Formula Two, the feature race was won by Callum Eilat. Uh, and, and uh, then the sprint race on Sunday was. Surprisingly, won by Felipe Drugovich, who won wire, who uh, started from reverse grid pole and led wire to wire. This that was Felipe's first win in Formula Two, uh, and considering how poor MP Motorsports had been all last all last season, compared how Drugovich just looked to be off the pace most of last season. This was a very surprising win for the Brazilian that I did not expect, but it is very welcome to see. Uh, uh, for Formula 3, we had the Saturday race be won by Oscar Piastri, the Australian. Uh, oh, so Logan Sargent finished uh, second, the American driver, uh, brother of Dalton Sargent. He made his first start for Prema uh, Motorsport, and he ended up uh, on the podium, becoming the first American on an F1 Feeder Series podium, since I believe Alexander Rossi sat on a GP2 podium uh, about a year or two before he came over here to, uh, in- to IndyCar.
1: So you're looking like um, 2014,
0: 2014-ish. Yeah, around 2014, 2013 was, I believe, uh, around the time when Rossi was was still winning. So, yeah, it's been a very long time uh, since that's happened. So very good job for uh, Logan Sargent. Wish I could say the same thing for him uh, in the Sunday race. He had a problem early in the race, and it dropped him out. Uh, also, Cameron Doss driving for Carlin. He is also an American driver. I had an off and ended up uh, not finishing very well either. So just a complete disastrous weekend for the Americans. At least Not a weekend, but a complete disastrous weekend uh, race for the Americans in the Formula 3 Sunday race. But uh, Liam Lawson came home uh, the victor uh, of that race. So a good race for good, good, great weekend. Great way to say welcome back, F1 Theater Series. Boy, did we miss you. Uh, surprisingly, though, there was uh, a lot of these races were very uh, quiet. They were more or less quiet, not very many safety cars, not very, very, very many yellows, local yellows, to be honest with you. Um, it was a very quiet and clean race, so it's it's good to see. It's good to see uh, stuff out of that, especially considering uh, a lot of those drivers hadn't raced in uh, oh, quite some time. So definitely a lot of them were very, very uh, edgy and nervous, but uh, hey, they pulled it out. So And then the final race of the weekend was the uh, Brickyard 400. Kevin Harvick uh, became a three-time winner at the Brickyard 400. He is the first driver to go back-to-back at the Brickyard 400 since, I believe, uh, Kyle Busch in 2015 and 16. Um, and so he becomes a three-time Brickyard winner, and he notches his 53rd career win in the NASCAR Cup Series. So, Josh, let's go ahead and get into our discussions here. Uh, you know, We're going to start with the uh, IndyCar at IMS Road Course at GMR Grand Prix. Um, it was a pretty, it was a fairly interesting race. I think strategy wise, it looked like it was going to be pretty wild there for a little bit. Graham Rahal looked to be trying to go on a two-stop race, which looked like it was going to be hard to do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you had yellows that were thrown in there that kind of threw off the strategies that could have potentially made for a more interesting race. Um, I, I, you know, there were some people saying that IndyCar went out there and laid a dud, laid an egg on live TV. I don't think so. I think comparatively speaking, I mean, people. This is another thing. Keep in mind how many European single-seater races I've seen in my life. A lot of them can be boring as all hell. So when I see an IndyCar race with as much passing as we see, mm-hmm. uh, believe me, I don't know what people are talking about when they say this is a boring race. I suppose yeah, I don't uh, excitement is subjective to everybody.
1: Yes. Um, yes.
0: Trust me, I have watched a single-seater European or Asian racing series with... Six cars line up on the grid, and I could still find something to enjoy about it, even with no cautions. You know, even with no cautions, no pit stops, nothing like that, I could still find something to enjoy about that. So I guess everybody's different. But, um, yeah, we, you had a really good run there. Uh, Scott Dixon was so fast that it caused Will Power to pit early. And uh, you had the Oliver Askew. He was running up front really well. Uh, he was looking pretty good there until he had a just a, an accident. He seemed to have blamed himself for that, but I don't think he really had to. Uh, I think it was more of a situation where you, you know, if you lose the back end of the race car, there's not much you can do about it. You know, either you get on the brakes too hard or whatever driver error or whatever. He's got nothing to beat himself up for. Up no. for yeah, you had a DNF, but you know, you still ran really well throughout the most throughout the majority of the speaking, race. He was fast. Yeah, he had a fast weekend. He, he can't he can't be too hard on himself because he's got to remember, he's a rookie. You know, you're not going to win them all. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your first go around in these big race Indy cars. And if you could put on a good pace, I mean, I say go for it. And speaking of pace, I want to speak to uh, Carlin and Max Chilton. Qualifying 10th, uh, they had incredible pace. They were made it up to 8th, but unfortunately, they got caught out by, a, by the pit cycle. Uh, they were going to pit when Askew crashed, basically. They hadn't pitted yet when Askew crashed, and as a result, they had to come down pit road and they lost all of that track position they had, which has easily got to be the most frustrating thing you can have, especially when you had a fast car. I mean, Max even said it. Oh, and speaking of what Max had, did I, I mention that? And I'm going to talk about Max even more. Um, it was so hot on Saturday at this race that Max sent out a tweet. He he tweeted it in a reply to uh, Marino Franchini, uh, Dario's uh, brother. Uh, he, he basically said his. Drinks failed, so he had no, no water. It failed on him uh, right as he left the pits to start the race. That sucks. Uh, so he had no water, and then to make matters worse, his, uh, we saw it when Scott Dixon was coming in for a pit stop. He, his uh, air conditioning hose on his helmet came off, and he had to put that back on while he was coming down pit road. Well, Max is, did the same thing. Max Chilton's fell off. Uh, the only problem was his air vent ended up getting blocked, so when he went to go plug it back in, there was no cool air coming in there. I mean, he he took a... Uh, I think it was on Instagram. He took a selfie. I mean, his whole fire suit was drenched. Yeah. I mean, he sweat through his fire suit. That's how hot it was. And, like, he was almost cooked alive in that car. I just... If you don't think these drivers are athletes, man... I yeah. mean... Oh, my gosh. And Connor Daly posted... Twelve uh, pounds. pounds lost, right? Yeah, he lost twelve pounds throughout the course of that race. I mean, good lord. And oh he showed his heart
1: God. rate too, and you got you all see that? that. That that that's always a great thing to look at. It's so. interesting to look at, definitely, but it's just so hot. Man, I, this is why we
0: shouldn't be racing at IMS in July, in my opinion. We should it's it it's for early summer and uh Indianapolis and Indiana are the best times to come here. Our early summer, so, you know, April, May, uh, early June, and then uh, late summer, so, you know, August, September, and October, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, coming here in July and running this race in July, when there's, like, no break from the heat at all, it's just bonkers and crazy, man. I have I have sat in some hot, hot races before, and I remember... Being in races, and sometimes I sit there and I think to myself, man, I am so glad I get to sit in the media center now where it's air-conditioned and I have unlimited supply of bottled water whenever I want because I would probably die out there if I wasn't
1: – if I was as a fan. So, Well, that's anyway. why they're athletes. They're, they're physically trained to handle this. They they have that mental dexterity. It's easy to sit in a stand and go down, grab a bottle of water or a Powerade or, or I guess – do they have Gatorade now? That's a Pepsi track. Um, I think it's power eight still. It's, it's still power let Let's look at that. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, y- you know, I, I enjoyed the race again. Like you said, I don't think it was a dud. That's the thing I love about open wheel racing. It's, it's more strategy. And if mm-hmm. you can not appreciate that, I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I-, I literally don't because Will Power and Jack Harvey had great cars. They yep. had great cars, but that ask you caution, screwed them over and there's nothing they could do about it. They're, now they're stuck back in traffic. Not there. Not enough people had pitted where they're like, okay, we come in now, we're going to restart fifth. No, he restarted 12th, Power did, mm-hmm. or, or somewhere back there in the, in the low teens. And he couldn't get back up to the front. Then he has a late, later issue just to pour salt on the wound. Um, but I enjoyed the race. I thought it was good. He yeah, had passing again. I've enjoyed each one of these GMR Grand Prix races. I think it's a great race i can't wait to what we see in the fall i do think the heat of july added that extra layer they kind of had to learn on the fly a little bit how these cars and the tires going to react i think that's why dixon had to pit so early he's like i right, we got pit uh, these tires are wearing out and then that his speed based on the tire where the power had that forced power I, I, we're losing time i, I got I, I got pit and then that, mm-hmm. later on, that caution comes out, and that, that, that kind of ruins it for everyone, but uh, or for some, not everyone. It helped Dixon out immensely. Uh, but I wanted to point out, too, you know, the top five, five different teams. So you had Chip Ganassi racing with Dixon, and then uh, uh, Ray Hall uh, was, was, was second, and then he had Penske in third with Pagano and then Dreddy, uh, Harding Steinbrenner with Herta in fourth. Good run for Herta finally, at Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ed Carpenter racing with Reince VK. Uh, good rebound for him, by the way, from the incident at Texas, which he he made he made the mistake and in, in, in the crash and, and Alex Palou was was an instant bystander in that, but good rebound for him, good run for good run for Ed Carpenter racing too on that one. But so I enjoyed the race. Um, why don't we move on to the second road course race of the day there? Yes, the second doubleheader, the NASCAR
0: doubleheader that. The NASCAR portion of the uh, doubleheader that came in. Uh, Now, this was a very popular race from a number of people. Everybody was talking about this race on Sunday. Uh, People couldn't shut up about it. (laughs) It was such a good race. And you know what? I don't blame them. I mean, this was probably the most, I mean, again, NASCAR, the Xfinity Series, always put on excellent road course races. It's the best racing in general. I mean, I've watched, you know, there's good road racing out there. Like, supercars is some really good road racing. Like, you want, like, NASCAR-esque road racing. You go watch some supercar stuff, and you get that almost every weekend that they race. But NASCAR on a road course is just... It's like there's no rules in it. You know, track limits, ah, oh, who cares? Track limits are for sissies. You know, you if, if you if you make a pass in the grass, go do it. You know, if you want to cut the chicane and... T- not, not sure, cut the chicane. If you want to... Uh, if you want to get all four tires on a runoff area, go do it by all means. Nobody's going to care, you know. Yeah. Um, that's that's one of those things that always amazes me with uh, NASCAR and road courses. Is it just seems like a wild west where nobody cares? Everybody's hitting. You're bumping into everybody. You're pushing guys out of the way. You're beating and banging. You're bumping. You're rubbing. You're doing all that stuff. It was it was it's it's great stuff. It's fun. It's exciting. I don't know how you can't enjoy it. Uh, and and you get all that. You get all of that sprinkled in with your standard road course uh, strategy mm-hmm. uh, stuff that w- that that we like, like we were just talking about. All that sprinkled in, uh, just just like the icing on top is crazy wild strategies that people will try and play. Uh, I was like, oh, I think we can make this race on one stop. I was like, oh, you sure we could make this race on one stop? Yeah, all you got to do is Jacques Villeneuve through the rest of the field. <laughs> It's it's all you got to do. It's all you got to do. Make it on one stop. Um, But yeah, so really, really great, great uh, race. We had uh, a return of Mike Wallace happened. Mike Wallace came back, and uh, we've had – there was a lot of carnage, it seemed, every single time we had a restart. There was another car on
1: the wall, another accident, it seemed like. Uh, Well, we made it through turn one, lap one. Yes, we did. Which was, which was unexpected to me. I did not expect to see that. I thought we're gonna see a caution on lap one, but it didn't happen, so I applauded the field that way. I
0: don't I think they've mostly, for the most part, made it through turn one every time. Even in the Indy Car race. They, in the IndyCar yeah, race they made it through was, turn what, one.
1: IndyCar has learned you gotta make it through turn one, lap one. Cause those cars are harder to repair uh yeah. than stock cars. And uh but 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 yeah, I was not expecting that these guys who, they did have a practice to learn the course, which I'm sure mm-hmm. helped. If you didn't have that, I think it was 55 minutes. If you didn't have that 55-minute practice, maybe then they would have been like, ah, we're going to see some crashing here. But they learned the course. You you had a, a discipline. You had discipline. Discipline is a good, good way and, and, to and, go about and, it. it. And they've learned. They took note after the truck race and some races last weekend at Pocono that you can't win the race on lap one. You you can't can't do it. No one's ever done it before.
0: No, it's never been done. Uh, my senior quote was a Rick Mears quote that said, "To finish first, you must first finish." Yes. Imagine not knowing that as a race car driver. But right. Um. Well, I, I, I can only think of one driver who probably doesn't know that. Yeah. And his, his name is Pastor Maldonado. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I enjoyed Pastor. the race.
1: I mean, I uh, I I thought it. I mean, first off, this might be a little controversial. But I thought for the first fifty-seven laps of the race, were was this I'm like? This is a good road course race. But I think mm-hmm. where everyone got like this is amazing was that finish, was the mm-hmm. fight that they had that AJ had with with Chase Briscoe. Which by the way, AJ cut him slack about yeah. three or four times. AJ could have easily moved Chase Briscoe out of the way a few times because he got through turns one through seven really well. And then Briscoe got him better in turns 8 through 14. But, uh, yeah, he cut him some slack. But I think AJ realized, hey, I'm trophy hunting. He's points racing. He's going for a championship. I don't want to, even though he's locked in, I don't mm-hmm. want to take those extra five playoff points away from him needlessly. Right. Um, which then caused Cindric to close up. Well, now they're all three fighting. That, that closes Noah Graxon up. Then Justin Haley gets into the action And, um, you know, that, that was a great battle. I think that's what won over a lot of people was that finish the racing the first 57 laps. Like this is a good race, good move. Roger Penske, NASCAR and the Xfinity series and the Indianapolis Smart Speedway to, to move the Xfinity to the, to the road course. Um, I thought it was a good race, Let's go back, but the finish is what really got people because it was really exciting. And I mean, I was on edge the entire time. I don't think I could have been on my, on my chair less because I was just wanting to inch closer to the television, uh, so I, I again that that was amazing to me. And then Indiana boy, I don't. It was nice to see because I'm like, hey, this kind of reminds me of something that happened in 1994, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, again, the inaugural NASCAR race on the oval was won by an Indiana boy transplant from California. But anyways, nonetheless, he's an Indy. He's in Indiana boy when he comes to Indianapolis.
0: I know. I I'm 100 percent with you. I was. Uh... I was surprised, uh, you know, you mentioned there were points, times there where Almendinger could have turned Briscoe, and I was sitting there, I was like, earlier in the race, there were po- mo- moments where I thought Cindric was going to give the bumper to Briscoe multiple times. I mean, he would be right there on his bumper, and I was like, man, he's either going to tandem him down the front stretch and try mm-hmm. and make a move into turn one, or he's just going to be there and just scare the crap out of him until he makes a mistake.
1: Now, two years ago, Syndric would have turned him and wrecked himself in the process, but that's probably, probably on Cindric on too.
0: Yeah, no, I mean Cindric had to ra- had to race a clean race, and I think he did that for the most part, up until about the last lap when he tried the door slammed AJ there. Uh, that's just boiling
1: the- frustration. He was so frustrated from that penalty, which by oh, the I way, know. while borderline was the right call. I
0: I don't know if it was the right call still. I'm not necess- I'm Hurst. not one to be like a, in Austin Cedric's court all the time, but I really think Herbst was pushing him more. Like he was, he was waiting and waiting, and then he was getting ready to go. And when he went, he Herbst went before he did, and he slammed him so hard that it gave him more momentum than he wanted to have. He can't back off on the of the car when he, you're you know you're trying to start. He couldn't back off at that point. Otherwise, he's going to lose way more spots than he would. He had to take the spot, and I understand. Okay. I understand why they made the call. Yeah. Like don't get me wrong, I understand why they made the call. I think you're right in that if you think that it you made the right they made the right call then they did. But I just think they should have given it a little bit more thought and probably got given them a little bit more leeway because I think they they were a little bit I just I just I feel like Herbst was pushing him more than he expected and I there do was agree with that. He could I, do.
1: I do agree with that, but I think the 22 jumped first backed off and then the 18 pushing. But by that mm-hmm. point he'd already jumped, but I did appreciate it. NBC made it sound like NASCAR was reviewing their review.
0: Mm-hmm. They took
1: the, what the 22 said, like, Hey, we were getting pushed. All right, we'll review our review and make sure we look at more than just your car. But they also, I mean, we talked about the, the SMI data last, uh, last week, and I'm not sure how much they have that for in detail for the Xfinity series, but they can tell who jumps. Right. But then, this goes goes back to my argument, saying like to avoid this, the flagman should just restart the race every time. You know, it's my discretion when I drop that flag. Then you go, you spin your tires or not. You can't, you can't, bl- you can't blame the flagman. Um, but yeah, hey, we're approaching the fifty minute mark. We yeah, have two more move races on to Formula One. We'll probably move on to Formula One. What a crazy
0: Grand Prix! Yes, what a crazy Grand Prix. I mean, what's going on? Okay, so first you had the Hamilton grid penalty. Uh, You had – Ferrari had, like, no pace whatsoever. Sebastian Vettel did not make it out of Q2, which blew everybody's mind. Charles Leclerc just barely made it into Q3. Um, It seemed like all Ferrari engines were just struggling. Haas was a disaster, hot mess. Uh, Alfa Romeo was a hot mess. Uh, And then Ferrari was a hot mess. So anybody using a Ferrari engine was just a straight-up hot mess at that point. Yeah. Um, and it, it, then you have, uh, the start of the race and Verstappen, basically the car, the car goes into anti-stall. Like he's got a problem with the car. So Verstappen's out of the race. So now yeah. you're like, okay, basically the one guy that could have probably challenged Valtteri Bottas the whole time and Hamilton, yeah. uh, is now out of the race. Um, and it just seemed like you just, like attrition was the name of the game. I loved and, it. Oh, it was Perfect. It's what makes Formula 1 fun is when you're – when teams – the thing about Formula 1 is when teams are pushing the issue in the name of speed, that's mm-hmm. what I want to see. If the car fails, the car fails. Just make sure this thing – like I was telling you before the show how much Motorsport Manager I've been playing. You know, in some cases, you know, you want, you, you want that performance over that reliability. And in some cases, you want that reliability over that performance. And you have to sacrifice the two in order to get one. You have to sacrifice one in order to get the other. Do you want more reliability? Then you're going to sacrifice performance. If you want more performance, you're going to sacrifice reliability. I think almost everybody out there was going straight in for performance. Most mm-hmm. most of the teams out there were going straight for performance, and it cost them. It and cost. The track them. Is not successful. very forgiving. No, it's not. It's not. And we got to go back there again this weekend yeah. uh, to do it again, which is going to be crazy. Uh, and so then, so 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 now you had Verstappen had a failure. Uh, Lance Stroll had an engine problem. Which is awful, too, because I don't, you know, people are always say, like, uh, Racing Point is the pink Mercedes. You know, oh, it's not fair. They, had, they just took Mercedes' car design. Why is that bad? The, it gets them out of the midfield, and they, we get a better, uh, you know, if, per, if Sergio Perez, one of the most underrated Formula 1 drivers of our time, in my opinion, I mean, P- look at what Perez has done in midfield equipment. That man has. That's has uh, you with. That man has gotten podiums. In re- force into racing point when everybody else that they've ever hired has not been able to do so. Holkenberg never. Ne- Holkenberg's never had a podium. Um, you know, Stroll's had a Stroll's had a podium, but in a Williams, not in a in a, in a racing point. Um, you know, and I look at that and I say I say to myself, you know, it's like we should be giving more respect for Sergio Perez. Sergio Perez deserves more respect. And I really do think that he's going to notch another podium this season because the racing point looks incredibly fast. And I was, I was crushed for Lance Stroll because you know, he didn't have the best race, but he did make it into Q3, which is impressive in and of itself. It shows the speed that the racing point has. Um, but I felt like he, he, he could do really well in the race. It's just that the engine failed on him. And I Mm -hmm. think he was, that engine was struggling most of the race. Yeah, uh, he, had, and
1: he, he had issues early. Like they were he was complaining about issues before even Daniel Ricardo dropped out mm-hmm. of the race. So yeah. Uh
0: so yeah, I just I felt like uh that one that one was interesting. Um both Haas cars had problems. Ugh. Uh both but double retirement for Haas in the first race, just Breaking. adding adding further frustration for Gunter Steiner.
1: Um and probably Gene Haas too. Uh, yeah, there was not a good start to the year where that team has to show that, hey, Gene, it's worth spending your money here. And you have a, a something simple like a brake failure. Yeah, that's pretty. I mean, scary. I'd rather have the excuse, hey, we pushed the engine and it blew. Yeah. Instead, you had to go like, we had, well, our brakes failed. Um, and you can't run a road course without brakes. You can't run any track without
0: brakes in Formula yeah. One.
1: Yeah, it's it's just yeah that was, was just bad. I, I enjoyed it, you know. As well I'm going to, but what we had, what Formula One that race to me showed half, and I'll talk about this a little bit later when we get to the Brickyard. This is something we miss in mm-hmm. racing in a lot of disciplines today, at least major disciplines, and that's just reliability. Okay, the cars are too reliable. And they don't fail enough, so therefore you don't have people dropping out. You don't have people getting that surprise. Like Nicholas Latifi finished eleventh in his in his debut. I don't know what the Las Vegas books had, had, had was the over under, but I guarantee you, a lot of people lost money. <laughs> I don't know if
0: Vegas. <laughs> a few is doing people make money. It's legal out there in, in Great Britain, so you probably have to check like William
1: Hill or something. Yeah, um. I just I did not. No one expected that, and the only reason that was possible is because. Nine cars dropped out of the race, which is is bad for them, bad for the teams having to go back and fix it. But it's exciting for us because even Mercedes was like, hey, guys, you cannot hit these the rumble strip. You cannot hit the curbs. We will have a sensor failure in the gearbox, and you won't be able to shift. Okay? Now, they couldn't say that explicitly to them, but the message was conveyed, don't hit the curbs. Yeah. So we could have had a double Mercedes failure. And it sounded like Botas had the worst of the situation from what the radio chatter that that Sky Sports was feeding us. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that could have been a, a disastrous day for Mercedes. And you could have had a guy like, you know, Charles Leclerc come up there and and where did he when he come from? Orlando Norris or mm-hmm. Carlos Sainz? You know, it was it was an absolute crazy day. Now, one thing we gotta talk about was the Hamilton. Albon, I was just about to bring this up. I definitely think the stewards got that call right. Hamilton uh... did not give him room in that corner. And then we saw, I think it was a lap or two later, two examples Mm -hmm. of how to go side-by-side through that very corner.
0: Hamilton, this is the thing that bothered me about Hamilton, is Hamilton goes in there, he gives Albon zero room whatsoever, and when he hits Albon, he throws his hand up like, what were you doing? Like, dude, you had all the room in the world on the inside, and you gave him like the, the equivalent of like a tiny crumb of space yeah. to get the move. I mean, he had the position; he had, he had the position. position. That, was, that was
1: the key. He had the Albon had
0: had the position. He absolutely had the position, and Lewis just gave him no room. And then and he just drives on off. And it's like I, you know, I don't normally criticize Lewis Hamilton because, for the most part, I say
1: most of the time when he's racing, he's perfect. I do think in, in the case, this is different from Brazil. He definitely – I think they got it wrong in Brazil. Yeah, they did. They left the door open for him. But Albon in this situation was squeezed, and I was more shocked that when they didn't – when that when that happened, that Mercedes didn't, didn't let Hamilton go by. Like, hey, we're going to get a five-second penalty on this. Get by Botas – and 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 get out to a four second lead. <laughs> you know we're not going to take the win away from Bottas and like you know allow that to happen. But just just that was a, that was a little surprising to me. I uh, you know what I'm just happy with the way the podium ended up ended. It up. is it was a fun fo- fun podium. Lando Norris gets that first podium, and you you that was very. You, I just love hearing him get excited on the radio, man. He's, Lando
0: is easily the best thing to happen to Formula One. Oh, probably oh. since for stopping.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It it's going to be fun over the next decade watching Norris, Charles, Leclerc and and and, and Verstappen for sure. It's going to be fun watching these guys go at it. Um, and and I don't know how many years Ricardo has left, but if he can be in better equipment than he is now, he's always a fun personality too.
0: I think if he's going to McLaren, he's going to be fine. Because if Lando's yeah. doing fine, then yeah. Ricardo will start doing fine. Yeah. Uh, the guy I'm worried about is Vettel. Guy, I, I'm honestly worried about his Vettel. I don't know what's going to happen. Made, that,
1: was a, that was a bonehead move. That that was all his fault. He's st- he's like, I don't know. I you know what the, like a kid in the candy shop, but the candy shop's closing, and you slamming the door, and your hand gets stuck in the door. That's what it was.
0: And I don't know what to think about Vettel, man. I it's like, where where is your Formula One career going? Are you going to like? I mean, what where where possibly can he go next season? I think like the only open door right now that I could see is Renault. And I don't really think he's going to go to Renault. I don't think Renault want
1: him. I don't think he'll strongly stronger. consider him, but I, but if Botas has a good first few races here, okay. but I, I, again, do, but does Mercedes want to take that risk of like, Hey man, you're, you haven't been really reliable in Ferrari. Yeah. That's and- the thing though. It's like
0: Botas has been the perfect Botas has proven, in my opinion, to be the perfect signing from Mercedes. I mean he's he's willing to help out Hamilton, but he can win races when Hamilton can't. Yeah. So it's like, you know, this is it for Mercedes, this is the perfect perfect person to have in that car. Even if he's a number two. If if you if we're saying I know he's they the don't like to say that two. they're number two. I know that Mercedes likes to treat them both equal, but in the event that you're going to have two number two, a number 2 driver, Bottas is the perfect number 2 driver. There's absolutely no way you're going to get Vettel to agree to be a number 2 driver. Yes. I mean, what you're going to have is you're going to create uh Hamilton's rookie season 2.0 where him yeah. and Hamilton where, where you're going to pair if the, I'm saying if that happens. It's not yeah, going to yeah, happen yeah, probably. Yeah. But, you know, Hamilton Alonso, you can't have two number 1 drivers. You you can't do that. You have to have a clear number 1 and number 2 if you're that high up. If you have yeah. that good of a team, um, and in this case, I think uh, Leclerc is going to be the number one driver next season. If he's not already the number one driver now, I think he's um, the number one driver now. Yeah, and Vettel is just going to have to either take a step in, say, take a step back and be a number two driver, or he's going to have to just leave Formula One entirely because I don't know what, where else he can go other than, like I said, Renault. I mean, what? I, I mean, and why would he want to go to
1: Renault if he's not going to win races in a Renault? Renault hasn't I mean, won races. Would you, would you put Esteban Ocon as the number one driver at Renault? Probably. You would? I'll, I mean, if if, if, if if he's with Vettel? Not
0: not if he's with Vettel. Vettel's I'll, definitely okay. better than Ocon. Yeah, I would
1: say like Renault's the only place where he'll be a number one driver. Vettel will be a number one driver. Everywhere else, he he's going to be a number two. Because I don't think he goes – everyone was talking about Red Bull. I'm like, I don't think he goes back to Red Bull. I don't think he does. Red I think they're very no happy with because he two, yeah you got Albon and are not letting Verstappen go unless they are not willing to pay him. So I think we you, any closing thoughts on that because we're at an hour and we still got a brick yeah, yard let's, let's go brickyard. Now. Let's go into the
0: brickyard. Let's go into the brickyard because I got no closing thoughts on Formula One other than yeah we what I've already said. So good yeah. win for Bottas. Good 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 podium. Happy podium. Happy Formula One weekend. I'm happy Formula One's back honestly. And F1 2020 comes out officially now. So by the time this podcast comes out, I'm probably going to be trying to install it on my Xbox. I'm excited. So hopefully we'll see if GameStop has one. I made the mistake of not pre-ordering it because I don't pre-order stuff. So, oh, well, Brickyard 400. Uh, boy. It was a lot of mixed opinions on whether or not this was a good race or not. We're getting into this here. Uh, cars were closer in the mid pack. I can give you that. But we had that incident on pit road very early on the, On the lap 12, lap 13 competition caution, Ryan Priest, uh, uh, Justin Allgaier, uh, Martin Truex, Ryan Blaney, Corey LaJoy, and Brendan Poole all got eliminated uh, in that. that Well, Blaney didn't, but he was caught up in it. But everybody else pretty much their days were done, especially Truex who had a spark plug failure. And they were probably going to be fine. They were going to come in, fix a spark plug, probably not lose a lap, just lose track position, but not lose a lap. Uh, And then they got caught up on an accident on Pit Road because of all the spots they lost. So I really do. That's one of those things with Truex where it's just like, Dave went from bad to worse, man. I mean, he went from bad to worse quickly and at a track that he has had zero luck at. Oh, for sure, man. Um, But we did, I think the big things that we want to talk about today were the tires. Um, You know, I talked about, what the wear was going to be like. And I was a little bit worried about the tire wear because of how hot it was. Keep in mind, you know, it's hot, it's humid. It was raining a little bit earlier before the race. It's really, really humid. And it's like, we're talking about like 91, 92 degrees. I think they said it was the third hottest brickyard on record. And Chris Gabehart said something after Hamlin had his accident, um, which by the way was crushing in and of itself because if yes. you read what Hamlin, uh, Hamlin's PR person said after the accident, he essentially straight up said, he was like, this is the one Denny wanted to win more than anything this year. Yes. And I was like, he was six laps from doing it, man. I mean, that is heartbreaking. You, you, you want to win a race that badly. You want to win Indianapolis that badly. And you're six laps away from doing it, and you're, you're, you have a tire blow. It sends you into the wall, catches you on fire, ends your race. And, it's not, and he wasn't the first Gibbs car to do that either. Eric Jones had the same problem uh Ryan Newman had the same problem. Alex Bowman had the same problem. um Chris Gabart, his crew chief, went on Twitter though, and he basically said, "You know, we're we're putting too much load on these right front tires, and that's what's pretty much causing all these. It's not really Goodyear. There's not much Goodyear can do to fix it. It's a problem. Is the cars are so sucked to the ground and they're not lifting lifting off. So there's so much side force. There's so much force downforce that's going onto these tires. It's wearing them out faster." then you know they're wearing out the inside tires and when you have that you know you're not going to feel uh you're not going to feel feel three tires going bad if only one tire is going bad you know and if one, and you're not going to feel that until it goes and yeah. i think that's the problem because it's a load issue it's not like a wear where it's like okay you can feel it wearing by how much it slides in the corner into a load issue where the tire just reaches a point where it can't take that much you know, that, that many G's anymore. And then it just explodes in a catastrophic way. And that's why they're exploding in the center of the corner and not like right before they get into the turn. That was the thing that was so, especially with Bowman's and Hamlin's accidents was that the the tires exploded in the center of the corner and not like right when they were about to arc it in and like break, you know? So as soon as they went into that corner and started putting that load on the right front tire, that's when it just went kablamo and sent them right into the wall. I think Eric Jones was the same way, and Ryan Newman as well. So you had four instances of that, essentially. Maybe one more, if I'm in- remembering incorrectly. William Byron's was more was not that. Um, it was different than that. But you know, those were the things that I think really surprised me the most was because I didn't feel like it was a Goodyear tire issue. I maybe felt like that at the beginning because it was, I saw those tire failures happening, you know, around the end of around towards the end of the cycle of pit stops but when bowman or yeah when i think it was uh bowman when he had his accident it was like he'd already pitted you know i think at that point or he was about to pit you know and it was it's it's a situation where it's like that is a bit concerning to me to see the the tires fail that quickly um but yeah so stage one winner was william byron and then he didn't even finish the race stage two winner was kevin harvick Hamlin almost won the race and then didn't. It went into overtime and it was Kevin Harvick who ended up uh, taking the victory uh, at the end. So you know, I think a lot of people are, are questioning whether or not it was a good Brickyard. Uh, did not see very many passes for the lead on track, um, hardly any, if that. I think like maybe three max, maybe even less outside of race. Yeah. Um, it, it. I think from a statistic point, it didn't look like a very good race, but I think. I think it was passable. I think it was pretty good. Of course, my expectations are always lower than they should be for any other race, but I was entertained. The cautions definitely added some spice to it, didn't really give us the strategy like I thought we were going to have at the beginning of the race, but, you know, for the most part, I think it it was a pretty okay race. Uh, But, Josh, I I, I think there's something that you want to add about the Brickyard before we put, uh, put the pin on this and move on. Um, uh, and I, I just want, you know, to hear you say it because I echo your views on it, but you know, there's something that needs to be said about continuing to run the brickyard on the oval because there's going to be a lot of talk, uh, probably throughout the next year. Uh, and, and further about fans will want to move the brickyard to the road course. But I think what Chase Briscoe said over the weekend, and you echoed that is very true. Eric Almirola said something similar to it as well. And I think, you know, you and I are very against the grain on this. A lot of people really don't like the Brickyard. I don't know why people are so negative. I mean, the race is not that bad. And, I mean, it's at Indianapolis. Uh, it's a prestigious race. Good or bad. Monaco is a bad race. You know, and people still want to win that more than anything. Don't take take away people's chances to win these races. Um, and I don't, I, know if, I don't know if you're going to echo some of those statements, Josh, but I want to give you some time to speak on that uh, if you feel, feel like it.
1: Well, um, let me just kind of give my thoughts about the race, and then I'll get into that. Uh, spoiler alert, we're, we're definitely going to go a little over time here. But, you know, I thought the race, you know, given the the current package, the way that the package that was presented, I thought it was a good race. Okay? Could it be better? Yes. I'll dive into that in a moment. The tire situation, uh, all the Toyotas had an issue. The um, – the 19 didn't race enough for us to to know if he was going to have an issue, but the 18 complained about a tire vibration, the 95 complained about a tire bi- vibration. So I think it was a lot of setup issue. They, the, but I do agree with the load. You know, you're definitely putting that load on there that can contribute to it and your setup. If it's too bad can contribute to that, you know, and again, there's things you might notice in practice. Um, the cautions definitely spice it up, but cautions spice up any race, okay? Let's let's not forget about that um, for, for people wanting to complain about this particular event. Um, and, uh, you know, the tires, you know, uh, I hinted it earlier. What we saw on Sunday was what we're missing a lot with racing today. We're so technological, and these cars are so dialed in. We don't see enough attrition, and we don't see enough failures. And seeing nine cars drop out of Formula One, seeing the the, the tires fail, for one reason or another at Indy, that's in a way a good thing. You know, I'm glad. Thank God for safer barriers. We had three wrecks that tested that technology, and it's good to see all three of the drivers get out of the car, climb out, um, and and walk out. You know, walk to the ambulance. That's awesome. Indy home with a safer barrier. You know, we, we got tested today, which is which is good. Um. To see them get out, I should say. Not to test, but the, the tire failures, it's it's good to see in a way. We don't want to see such violent, but um I'd rather see them fail going down the back stretch and able to break like Byron was able to. Um so what I was gonna say was Chase Briscoe in his in his interview on the front street said it's not as prestigious to win on the uh, as compared on to win on the oval. And that's it right there. And Kevin Harvick said, what I've wanted, what I wanted to grow up and do is win at the brickyard. He's not talking about the road course, because when he was a kid, the road course didn't exist. The, this is the road course's 20th birthday this year, all right? It was built for the 2000 U.S. Grand Prix. So it's only 20 years old. No one cares. At the brickyard, when you think of Indianapolis, more speedway, you don't think of the dirt track. You don't think of the road course. You think about the oval. Okay. Um. It's a little disheartening to me. I've listened to a few podcasts, uh, other podcasts, and I've listened and read tweets. I think Indianapolis in the Brickyard 400 is the most, one, underappreciated, but two, and more importantly, the most misunderstood race on the calendar, both from my fans, what I've also seen from a journalist's perspective. I had to keep my mouth shut a couple times uh, uh, yesterday. And three, NASCAR. Indianapolis, and I will wrap Pocono up into this too, are three very unique races in a year. Right now, we're treating them like a mile and a half. And I got news for you. If you haven't figured it out yet, Indianapolis isn't Charlotte. It isn't Kansas. And it isn't Homestead. It's not. So we can't be treating them like that. Indianapolis is a one groove racetrack where you want to have your car trimmed out, go as fast as you can so you can carry as much speed into the corner without losing grip to make it into the through the short shoot into the, the next turn so you can get a better run down the next long straight. I didn't see enough off-throttle time in turns one and three on Sunday that I like to see, and I blame that on the parachute on the back of the car. As a course of a run goes, you need to be... Uh, letting off the throttle more and maybe even using your brake a little bit because your tires don't have grip. All right? So you, I think we had the right tire maybe, but we didn't have the right package this week. And we've seen the past few weeks where we've had the wrong tire and the wrong and the wrong package. We've had the wrong package at, at big tracks all year long, all right, excluding Daytona and Talladega, okay? But at the mile and a half, has been the wrong package. Pocono and Indianapolis are not mile-and-a-half tracks. We are we are cheating the track, we are cheating the television product, and we are cheating the fans who are buying tickets there. Indianapolis is not meant to be a, a track where you're going to have 30 cars within 10 seconds of each other. It's not. It's about pure speed and how, be, how how much talent you have behind the wheel, how much faith you have in your crew who set up that car. It's not a multi-groove racetrack. It is maybe on a restart and with fresh tires. You're going, you're not going as fast the turn one and through turn two and even turn three. But after that, it's not a multi-groove racetrack. It's about getting, going up to you. What was the problem yesterday was that you had to have a superior car, which Hamlin did have, and Harvick had, to pass a car. Chase Elliott, how many, he, he caught Hamlin easily, but he couldn't pass him. The rules were reversed. Hamlin could have passed Chase, all right, beginning part of that year. We had a power parachute. You didn't have any air. Air hit you. It was a disadvantage on the uh, restart to be on the front row if you, as the leader, weren't able to clear the second place car on the exit of turn one, which, hey, it's a, it creates an exciting restart, but it's not what it's designed to be. It's not what the track it's supposed to be. Okay. Folks who are listening to this and you don't like the brickyard, it's a different type of race. It is a race just purely on speed and, and, and car handling, not about multi-groove. Multi-groove races are fun to watch, but I appreciate the technicality that Indianapolis is supposed to be but really isn't at the moment. NBC, I mean, they couldn't – they didn't really have a choice. If they were going to do the comparison, they had to lie, all right? But they had the audacity to do the comparison where cars go 200. didn't see a car hit 200 miles an hour at Indy yesterday, all right? They, I think I saw 193 once or twice, and that was with the draft. OK, what we're missing at the moment, if we want to keep 550 horsepower, I don't have a problem with 550 horsepower engines. If it leads to more OEMs and it's cheaper costs, but you can't have a parachute on the back of the car. Mm
0: -mm.
1: That big giant ass spoiler, as Dale Jr. has coined, cannot be on the car. I want to see Indianapolis run with the with the spoiler that we have run at Bristol, Martinsville and Phoenix this year. We might hit 200 miles an hour. We're going to be carrying more speed in, the, in turns one in three. And it's all about grip at that point. You can keep the car on the white line. Harvick and, and Hamlin were doing a great job at that, at different points of the race. some had, Each one had an advantage or the other. But it's misunderstood what Indianapolis and the Brickyard 400 are supposed to be. We talk about the, I, I'm, I'm ranting really long on here. We, we talk about the novelty of this, of this race um, because it's so historic. Sure, it was a novelty to go to Chicagoland in Kansas because it was a new track those first one or two, maybe even three years. But the novelty lasted at Indianapolis for over a decade because it's Indianapolis, because it's the greatest race car drivers who have raced there or, or, the, or the greatest, excuse me, the greatest race car drivers in history have raced at in Indianapolis. That's what I'm trying to say. So that's why Penske is the smartest man in motorsports right now because he figured out In 2011, when the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series left Lucas Oil Raceway and the Xfinity Series went to the Oval, the big Oval, it devalued what it meant to win the Brickyard 400. And therefore, there's always kind of been an additional comparison with the packages. The switch to the road course this year added value, what it meant to be in the 400 and race on the Oval, the same Oval that A.J. Foyt has won four times at, the same Oval that Jeff Gordon has won five times at, okay? Chase Briscoe knows that. He's like, it, it's awesome to win at Indy, is what he's saying, but it means more to win on the Oval. And the Xfinity guys, I don't have a problem with them getting that taste. They get it, the winner gets to taste that bricks, but it will taste sweeter when Chase Briscoe is in the Cup Series and he wins the 400 on the Oval. The 400, if it gets moved to the Roval, or excuse me, the Road Course, it's devalued more than what it is when the Xfinity series was racing on the oval. I'd rather see NASCAR completely leave Indianapolis than the cup series go race on the road course. And I don't think they will. I don't think Penske will allow it. I don't think NASCAR wants to admit defeat. It's just that some people got to wake up and say the package is wrong. We got to treat Indianapolis in Pocono differently than we do The rest of the the, the big tracks, we have a very diverse schedule. I'm just about done here. We have a very diverse schedule, all right? We have currently three road courses. We have a Roval and two permanent road courses, where next year we're probably going to have a street course and another permanent road course. Very diverse there. We have mile-and-a-half tracks, all high-banked at the moment, but even their variety. We have a, we're going to have a con- we, a concrete mile and a third oval next year. We have a three different, very different mile tracks. We have short tracks that are the three current tracks are very different themselves. And we have super speedways. The only thing we're missing is a dirt track, which we probably won't see in the cup series. So then on top of that, we have two flat, two and a half mile ovals, very diverse and they're technical. Not every race again is going to have Thirty cars within ten seconds of each other because that's, in a way, to me, that's boring. I I know that might sound crazy, but I like the diversity that we that we can have, and it's just about education and understanding. And I know some people just keep their mouths shut because they're afraid of being penalized by NASCAR for criticizing them. But man, it's 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 disheartening to see people who can talk and can make change do the wrong thing. And that's my rant for the day that while it's a good move to move the Xfinity to the road course, it's not a good move to move the Cup Series to the road course. And that's all I got to say.
0: Uh, All right. Let's go ahead and try and move through the next uh, few segments here as quickly as possible. Um, let's move on to the outstanding performance first. I'm going to go ahead and give mine. Eric Almirola gets it. Uh, he had a problem early in the race, went a lap down, then came all the way back to finish third. And that's not an even thing, easy thing to do at Indian, especially in Indianapolis, even with the free pass rule. And in all honesty, it was clear he had a fast car uh, and he <laughs> had a really great drive as well that very well could have ended in a win, have a few things,
1: uh, gone differently.
0: Josh, who is your outstanding performance this week?
1: I think Eric Almarolo could have won that race if he pushed Kenseth instead of allowing his teammate to get the push. But that's, 100%. That's, yeah. Um, mine goes to Brandon Godovic and Sam Hunt Racing. Okay. Probably didn't see that one coming. That's This is the Xfinity Series race. So Godovic um, started last and rallied to a 12th place finish. All right, It was his first Xfinity race since Phoenix in 2016, by the way. Um, it was his best career finish. His next best was... 13th at Watkins Glen in 2015. Um the the Sam Hunt Racing, this was only their sixth career race in the Xfinity Series. So that was their best first uh, best finish. So their second top 20 finish and they were also the best Toyota that day on Saturday. So just very it stands out when you look at the running order there uh and there's a lot of people you could have picked, all right? And a lot of people from the Cup Series alone. Um Michael McDowell, I think is maybe an honorable mention. Uh but this one just stood out to me a little bit more. So good job, Godovic and Sam Hunt Racing.
0: Cool, cool, cool. All right, let's go ahead here and do uh, some rapid fire upshift and downshift. I say rapid fire because we got to get to Roller's featured racetrack in a little bit. Uh, So, upshift, downshift, one of our favorite segments, everybody else's favorite segments. If you, uh, we give you a series of uh, hypothetical statements or questions. And whether or not you agree, you upshift. If you disagree, you downshift. If you don't care, you don't know what to think, you shift in neutral. Play along as well. Use the hashtag RobinRoller. Uh, anytime you want to uh, weigh in on some of these questions yourself. So the first question we'll go ahead and ask. Uh, Josh, I'll ask you first. Red Bull Racing had nearly four months to file a former, formal protest with the FIA to Mercedes' DAS system, but they waited until this weekend to protest. Do you upshift or downshift this move?
1: I downshift. You waited till the racing resumed? You had four months to think about it, man. I don't agree with it. You should have filed it long ago. Um, I thought they would have. I thought they would have. Now, unless there's a rule for some reason that says they can't file it until race weekend, I didn't hear that. That was the case. Um, but yeah, I downshifted. It's kind of a bad look. It's kind of petty to me. Yeah, I I just feel like uh, I just feel like they dropped the ball on that i felt like they
0: could have done it in the earlier in the season in australia and they didn't they could have done it in preseason testing, and they didn't i don't know what the rules are about it but it just i mean they did what they did it when they did it but i don't think they thought they were gonna i i don't know what they thought they were gonna win i don't think yeah i didn't already- think they were gonna win it was pretty much already so i'm downshifting as well all right so despite it being hard to judge given the current world conditions moving to the moving the breckyard 400 and support races to the fourth of july weekend Hold strong potential. Do you upshift or downshift on this?
1: I upshift. I liked it. Um, I know you don't like the heat and running r- races at Indy in July, but I think it makes the racing more exciting. Hot slick racetrack is awesome. Um, and I again, I enjoyed it. I think it's better for the for the Brickyard to be on a date in Indianapolis to be on a date where it, it it's not just another weekend. And I think that's one reason that makes the Indy 500 so great. Um, even though it is you know 100 over a 100 runnings, but um, well, they had the
0: brickyard on Labor Day weekend. You had 500 be on more Memorial Day weekend, and then 500 400 was on Labor Day weekend
1: last year. You're not going to move the Southern 500 off Labor Day. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Well, it's close to Day 4th of July, uh, brickyard. I think it's great and it's the best condition for, for, for racing there with perfect packages and everything. I enjoyed it, I really did. Upshift, I mean.
0: I'll wait to – I'm going to do neutral because I'm going to wait until uh, I'm eventually proven right when uh, the Coke 0400 inevitably gets rained out for like a whole week. Um, next one, uh, Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen are the Haas F1 team drivers uh, to start the 2020 World Championship season. Each will be driving for the team at the
1: end of the season. Do you upshift or downshift on this statement, Josh? I downshift. I think Mutra Steiner is going to have to make a decision and prove that someone else can drive the car. I really do. I don't think. I don't think both of these guys w- will be in the car at the end of the F one season. Uh, Look,
0: I've been in Grosjean's corner for a long time. I've been a big fan of his. I've really liked what he's done, but he has regressed to a point that is quite honestly not good. In the past two or three years, mm-hmm. he has regressed so much. Magnussen as well. Magnussen had so much promise when he was in the Claret, and he has regressed so much to the point where it's it's. Just a joke. If if Gunter Steiner doesn't make a change, I'm going to uh, pretty much assume that they are entirely dependent on whatever sponsors they bring, and they're not sure they can bring get someone with better sponsors, uh, but that that can pay better. Because I know Roman Grosjean brings in a lot of money from Total. I sponsor him. I don't know how much money Magnussen brings in, but I'm sure it's a lot. If they've kept him for as long as they have, uh, it was definitely more than they had Gutierrez for. So. Either way, I'm going to downshift. There's no way that either of them are staying at Haas uh, unless they're just – unless Gene Haas is just almost done with this whole experiment, which would be sad. Yes. Um, final one here. The configuration for the NASCAR Xfinity race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road
1: course is perfect. Do you upshift or downshift on this statement? Ooh, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one. Uh, you know, you always can improve things, I think. Um. But I honestly didn't see any flaws that were major like what we, we saw at the Charlotte Roval in its first year in 2018 that stood out to me where there's like we need to change one thing. Um, I think there was definitely for sure two passing zones in a third if you got a really good run off into uh, the uh, snake pit there in, 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 in oval turn one um you could maybe make one of those two turns there uh, turns 13 and 14 or excuse me 13 and 12 a passing zone but uh, i i i'm going i'm going to upshift for now on that one
0: you know i think it's good personally i've always preferred the uh, the the carousel turn um in indianapolis instead you know they they kind of changed it so that you had a you could had a better run down into holman boulevard so you had better passing zones but for me personally, I think it would have been a little bit more exciting to see him run the, it's not really a loop. It's more of a carousel, but um, yeah. the, the carousel at an IMS, uh, I, I know why they don't do it because they really like the 2014 configuration. You have something to say? I was, re- well, I was I literally just looking time. at Twitter. Oh, Twitter. Was, uh-huh. time. Uh, yeah. Time, time. Uh, yeah. I, I just, I wish they would run the carousel more often. I feel like that's been a forgotten part, you know, because it, when you drive the that circuit, it's really technical and challenging. It might not be the, it might not have a passing zone per se, but I think you could do it in NASCAR. I think, yeah, yeah. I think you could make that. I you think you could make the argument that it would probably put on a better show for NASCAR than it would IndyCar. But I understand why um, they probably wouldn't do it on a doubleheader weekend. But you know, that's just how I feel. I wish that they would run the carousel. Other than that, I like the I like the addition of the Snake Pit Complex. I think it adds a lot to the racetrack. Uh, but just run that carousel. You know what I you know what I mean when I say carousel, right?
1: I I I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I think in in IndyCar, you need that run in, in stock cars. I think they'd be going fast enough if they went through that carousel, that mm-hmm. the old Moto GP yes loop there for people who maybe are aren't getting the carousel oh, part. And that's also a kink. Get a run that would that, that carousel would be a passing zone and still have enough speed when they come down all the way at the end of Holman Boulevard yes. to be, still be a passing zone. That would be an interesting thing to test next year. Should IndyCar not comp- be a um, be we would be with there uh, be with them again next year? Yeah.
0: All right. Let's go ahead and move on to rollers featured racetrack, Josh. It's uh, we're pushing time here, but I yeah. want to hear all about it uh, in full detail. Anyway, anyone who doesn't like this segment is crazy.
1: Anyway, so go for it. Well, thanks for the compliment there. Um, so, outside of North America, there aren't too many ovals in existence or have ever existed. I'm sure you can name a few. You got Calder Park, Twin Ring Motegi, and then Rockingham and Colby England. Look it up if you don't, if you don't believe me on that one. Those European are... Lausitz. Say what? Lausitz Ring in Germany. That's, a, that's another one right there. So, those were a few, and just about all of them, to be honest. But uh, did you know there was an oval in South Africa? Yeah. I did, actually. Oh, good. I was. I, I, was I think I actually racetrack. knew about this racetrack. I don't know the history about it, but I do know of this racetrack. Okay, good. I was. I didn't know if you would or not. So, yes, there is Fakisa Freeway, and Fakisa actually means "hurry up" in Sotho, which is an African ethnic group primarily uh, who who reside in uh, South Africa, Lesotho, and uh, Southern Botswana. So Fakisa Freeway is located in, in Welcome, near Bloemfontein in Free State. I know I just butchered that, but it's in, <laughs> it's in Free State, South Africa, and it's on the side of the former Goldfields Raceway. Now Goldfields was built in 1970. It was flat and really didn't feature a lot of like standout corners and, and configurations. Um, but yeah, it was fast and uh, was became kind of a, a mainstay on the Springbok Series for sports cars, uh, West Bank Modified Touring Car Series, and South African Touring Car Series raced at the track 2. It became known as a tire-eating track, but that was no more after it was resurfaced in 1995. Uh, Of course, resurfacing a track is not cheap, so it was kind of a surprise when the track closed in 1997, torn down, and Fakisa Freeway was constructed on top of it. Uh, The Prospect to host an international race of IndyCar or NASCAR prompted owners to build an American style oval constructed construction of the new facility began in September, 1998 and was completed in April, 1999. The oval is shaped like Michigan, uh, but is 1.5 miles in length and had 12 degrees of banking, similar to Las Vegas at the time. Remember Las Vegas used to be flat. No, not like it's high bank now. Um, there is also an infield slash exterior road course at 2.6, uh, three, six miles in length that hosted the South African Motorcycle Grand Prix from 1999 to 2004. Uh, it was the first time MotoGP raced in South Africa since 1992 and only the fifth time overall in 1999. Uh, Valentino Rossi was the only driver to win, or uh, rider, I should say, able to win twice there claiming victory in 2001 and 2004. Uh, Fikise has, has a habit of getting a bit dusty, which, you know, leads to slippery and intense racing, as it it was known for there. But since MotoGP's departure, Fakisa has struggled to attract international attention, uh, mostly holding national and and local events uh, on the road course. As for the Oval, though, it hasn't hosted that much. IndyCar and NASCAR never arrived. It wasn't until the American Speed Associ- uh, Association, yes, that ASA, imported 25 stock cars to South Africa and organized the Free State 500, consisting of American, European, and local South African drivers, It there was a 207-lap event that started just after 1 p.m. local time, 7 a.m. on the East Coast here in the States, in 80-degree heat, and the race was even broadcast on Sirius XM radio. With three laps to go, Jeff Bodine, yes, that Jeff Bodine was leading when he ran out of fuel after leading a race-high 86 laps. Tony McRae uh, was handed the lead, but she would be passed on the final lap by John Michael. McRae finished second, followed by Mark Davis, the very Mark Davis, who made 10 Xfinity Series stars between uh, 2008 and 2011. Jeff Bodine finished ninth, one lap down. Rick McRae, Tony's father, finished fourth, and Johan Spies was the best local in fifth place. Now, Mark Davis, who was the only African-American in the field, sadly lost his father uh, just days before they were to leave uh, for the race. His father, Harry, was an integral part of the race organization. Uh, ASA President Dennis Huth told Hot Rod magazine in 2010, quote, Harry was instrumental in getting this concept to a reality. We wanted to do something for him and are dedicating the race uh, to his memory. Unquote there. Every car in the field also had a decal honoring Harry Davis. Uh, so what else did the driver say about the race itself? Uh, Mark Davis said, quote, the track got faster and faster today, all weekend long for that matter. When we started the race, it was really just a one-groove racetrack, but at the end of the race, this place was amazing. We opened up to two and three wide racing in the end. I was trying, I was trying to run the high side at the end and it was working the more laps they they run on this place it place it will be great i look forward to coming back in quote there uh next quote here the track was the track is great really racy with multiple grooves and lots of room said arizona's mark schaefer uh we we were able we were getting three wide all day long especially towards the end of the race in quote there uh some noted the bumps on the back stretch most notably the bump uh, which is mostly a result of turn th- uh, the turn uh, three tunnel. Uh, you know, if you cross the bump, it settles there. Uh, if you crossed it right, you're good. If you didn't, you're probably going towards the wall, the drivers said. Now, there were hopes to have this race back in 2011, but it never came together. In fact, in over the 20 year history of Fakisa Freeway, it is the only race held on the oval. The only race. No doubt, costs related to travel have contributed to the lack of racing at the Oval. In addition, the lack of Oval racing interest outside of North America and being the only Oval in the continent of Africa have caused the lack of local growth. So uh, Fakisi does remain open today, uh, but it's the road course that receives the attention. Man,
0: that is, I mean, I knew about the track. But now, as uh, hearing you talk about it and then looking it up uh, myself here, I mean, I'm learning even more about it. I mean, this is this looks like it would be a perfect track to host some kind of international event if NASCAR ever wanted to go international. I mean, this would like this would be perfect for them. I mean, to, to, to forget attempting to, to fix Calder Park. Forget trying to do. I mean, you can't do any other international oval uh, anymore. They've all pretty much shut down. Euro is shut down for ex- everything except DTM. Um, I know Rockingham in the UK is shut down, yep, and exactly. it's uh, you know, and and of course Calder Park is the the oval at least is in ruins. Twin Ring Motegi's yeah, oval is unusable.
1: Could could be repaired. That be that would be cool. Um, I think it'd be interesting. I don't know what the costs are for the Euro in Series, but it would be neat to see if they could get down to 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 fakisa one just one time just to try it out is if it's logistically possible and i know that's that's asking a lot given the current world conditions everyone's budgets being crunched but um yeah that this would be a really cool place for an uh, international race i i, I think for I've sure i've
0: always i've always kind of wanted racing to go back to south africa i always felt like Almost you know there's some really good circuits in south africa that just don't ever get used you know yeah. kayalami is one of them you yeah. know, and then and then of course Fasica here. I mean it's There's another it's new a, one
1: in in uh in South Africa too. I can't remember the name of that that I think
0: Did um I think A one Grand Prix ran a street race around Cape Town, which was really cool back in the day. Yeah. I'd have to look that hold on, A one Grand Prix South Africa. Here it is.
1: Yeah, there we go. Uh I'm almost surprised Formula E doesn't race in in South Africa. Right? Why can't they go to Cape Town? That would be beautiful. Yeah, would, I mean, I, I do think Formula One will get to South Africa. I, I, I think, especially with the push to be more now international with Liberty Media, um, and South excuse me, the continent of Africa is the only continent with habitants that doesn't have a race in F1. So. You know, that's that's it like, in, okay, it,
0: it wasn't in Cape Town, it was in Durban. Okay. That's where the that's where they they held the uh A1 Grand Prix races from o5 to o8 Okay. So it was Durban, but it was so I don't, where is Durban in relation to I wonder in relation to Cape Town. I don't know, but Yeah, you know, it'll just be interesting. Um oh it's it's nowhere near it. Okay. That explains that. Okay. Well. Oh well. Oh well. Uh, we're moving. We're going to move on. We're going to finish up the show. Uh, so, what's in the windshield? Let's take a look at what we got coming up. There's still a lot more racing coming up. Oh boy. Um, on Sunday, July 12, Formula One races races once more at the Red Bull Ring. Uh, this time, it will be the inaugural Styrian Grand Prix. The NTT IndyCar Series is at Road America for a doubleheader this weekend. Race number one of the Rev Group Grand Prix presented by AMR doubleheader. Uh, at Road America is on Saturday, July This race replaces the canceled ARCA, ARCA race uh, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Then on Sunday, as Saturday as well, the NASCAR Gander Babies and Outdoors Truck Series races the buckle up in your truck 225. Then on Sunday, the NASCAR Cup Series races the 10th Quaker State 400. Um, so that being said, I think we have nailed it today. We've gone way too long, but we've nailed it. I apologize for the rant. Ah, it's okay. I don't think you have anything to worry about. Um, so that is everything for us. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate you. Remember to to follow along and play along with us. Use the hashtag RobinRoller uh, anytime you can. Uh, we I've actually seen people do that, so I'm really actually thankful for those of you who are uh, using the hashtag RobinRoller. I love to hear your opinions on the upshift and downshift, your featured paint schemes, your outstanding performances, and weighing in on whatever we discussed so far. So thank you again, and uh, I think that is going to be all for us uh, this week. So thank you again for listening. And uh, for Josh Roller, my name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing sure. with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody.